This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual-Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Linland from Rebecca Drives. All right. Well, um, are you guys all uh, fully disinfected and uh, not seeing anybody? Like, it's it's been great the last couple of weeks because uh, basically it was just like, keep doing what you do because you don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go out anywhere. Don't talk to people. Don't see anyone. Every introvert's dream. (laughs) Well, well, fortunately, you know, I I live in a nice suburban neighborhood, you know, so there's lots of room, you know, so I go out and walk Daisy a couple of times every day. And, you know, I see all my, I see my neighbors walking their dogs and it's great because, you know, the dog leash length, you know, for, if we let the dogs get, you know, close to each other to greet each other, you know, then we're just the right distance apart from each other to, uh, (laughs) to to enforce social distancing. So it's perfect. Yeah, the dog that so the kids have been going so stir crazy they i you know kick him out in the backyard and, and you know my son's kicking around a football for a while and stuff and the, the dog goes out as the medieval alarm system it's excellent <laughs> just put him out there and then he alerts anytime somebody walks by it's great so um, i just i actually got back from vegas uh we left vegas on saturday and of course everything closed down last night and so we were sort of waiting to see what would happen but Everything went dark yesterday. So we checked yes. that out. Yeah. It's pretty wild. We'll pray for you, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I don't pray, but we'll pray for you. <laughs> you know, it's it was it was very interesting being there and seeing, you know, most of the people that showed up for this huge uh, trade show that my brother, I was helping my brother with, I, they're in the construction company, construction industry. It's only three years. And so it's really people you know that are buying these huge tractors and buying this heavy equipment and stuff and you know for the most part it was one of those like if you're there you're you're pretty i don't want to say cavalier because people were careful uh but it was it was very interesting and and then you know the dominoes just started falling as we were as we were there and they ended up closing the show half a day early but yeah it was uh i mean we we got out of vegas just in time wow well, we're glad that you're back because you. you're you're able to be on the show. Uh, it's it's kind of an amazing time that we're all sort of living through. Uh, so we'll we'll see where it uh, winds up. We can talk about the cars we've been driving. <laughs> I fully expect that at some point they're going to turn off the tap, at least for a while of of cars to drive. Uh, they've they've shut down the factories for now. So. Um, We'll yeah, but you know, out. I mean, I think we're we're so fortunate though that that provided the excellent agencies that do send fleet management agencies that do send us cars. You know, when you think about travel writers and stuff, everyone, you know, or or restaurant. One of my good friends is a is a restaurant critic, and obviously she has to figure out something else. And like, you know, for the travel for the travel blogs, they really, you know, there's an opportunity to actually look around your own hometown and see what sites are there or what's close to homes, but it definitely requires reimagining. So we're at least fortunate that we can keep reviewing cars as long as they keep delivering them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're an Instagram influencer right now, you're basically screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. You know, it's, it's been really, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's been amazing in some ways to watch um, the air quality improvement. Um, you know, the the way I'm sure there's a lot of industries that have, have are struggling with this. There's people within my own company that are struggling with working remote. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of us, it's not 
a big deal. I mean, I we're doing video production remote and we're we're sending things around across a VPN and uh, you know stuff like that. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit, but we're all pretty much proving that commuting to the office is not entirely necessary. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of the fascinating things to watch. You know, earlier this afternoon, uh, my colleagues and I were, you know, we had a call. We were reviewing our overall uh, vehicle sales forecast, uh, looking at our forecast model and, you know, making some some updates to it, you know, and particularly in light of what's going on both with the pandemic and, you know, also with oil prices crashing uh, in the past week, you know, with this uh, disagreement between the Saudis and the Russians, you know, uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude today was down to $21 a barrel. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, we had an earthquake too in Utah. That was yeah. yes, that was just but, to add. <laughs> yeah, Where are yeah. the so, locusts? So <laughs> coming. You know, well, what I, what I was going to get to was you know we were, we were talking about how we need to update our forecast, our sales forecast. You know, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty, but you know, with so many people working from home now, obviously there's a huge number of jobs that you know you can't work remotely. Um, but there, you know, there are. Certainly hundreds of thousands, you know, probably millions of workers in this country that work in offices that many of them, you know, are now working at home for the first time. And, you know, once companies see this in action for a period of time, I have a feeling that, you know, a lot of companies are going to look at how this works out. And if, if it works out okay, you know, if it's manageable, that a lot of these people going forward may end up at least part of the week, you know, maybe, maybe not going into the office five days a week, but you right. know, working at least a few days a week from home, perhaps on a permanent basis. And if that happens, you know, now all of a sudden you've got a lot fewer people commuting, uh, you know, and so that could have a positive impact both on air quality, but also on congestion and safety. And, but then, you know, there's all kinds of cascading effects from that because, you know, all of a sudden if companies don't need as much office space, Right. You know, that has an impact on the real estate market, the, the commercial real estate market. And then that cascades into, you know, the businesses that support office workers, you know, restaurants and bars and uh, dry cleaners and, you know, all this other stuff. So it's, you know, it could have a, a significant, you know, perhaps permanent impact, you know, on the economy and also on vehicle sales. Right. right. And not, not necessarily good either. It's, it's been fascinating. Like well, thing, some aspects of it are good, but some are not good. All of it. Like yeah. I really liked that when I, when I was at the office last week, um, it was amazing to commute because <laughs> yeah. there was no traffic. Well, but uh, also on the flip side too, when you talk about that commercial space use, you could actually see an increase in things like restaurants going into these places. Because if you've been home all day, maybe you do want to go out then in the evening, you know, and you're saving, you're using money differently. You're, you're living and working very differently than if you've like, like here in this, in Connecticut where people take the train in, yeah. you know, you, and, and you're saving, like, I, I know, you know, one of my friends, he used, usually is on the 7am train and, you know, goes into the city, works for a big bank, and gets home at like, you know, 7.30 at night. And all of a sudden, he's, he's walking to his office, you know, in the next, in another part of his house, yeah. working there all day. And when he's done, he walks downstairs 
and voila, he's that's his commute, you know? Yeah. It, and it's, it's a, uh, the amount of time that he's saving, that he's getting back, I should say. Right. You know, it's just phenomenal. I get, I'm getting three hours a day back yeah, into I my mean, schedule. And I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm better rested. <laughs> well, like, right. Uh, I'm in a better frame of mind. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I was looking at my timesheet because I'm filling in my my hours every day. So most days I, I put in a solid eight and a half, nine hour day, usually about eight and a half. Um, and I, my timesheet for the last couple of days was like, I think Monday it was a ten and a half hour day. <laughs> Yesterday it was nine and a half. And it didn't it like it just it was no big deal. Like, OK, right. fine. Like stuff had to get done. But I was home. I started earlier. I worked until like eight o'clock. Like I took breaks for things yeah. and stuff. Because here, but it like it's just I mean, a it's, much, much better environment if you can do it. And and so I think the companies are going to see that like, oh, by the way, these people are more productive and less cranky. Right. <laughs> and, and to, but to Sam's point, like how does this affect the vehicle market? You know, yeah. in some ways, suddenly maybe – Maybe you see a household that has an SUV and a convertible, right? Because now all of a sudden you're like, I don't need a car to, I don't need a car to get to and from the train station. I need a car to get me out of the house and go for a drive and enjoy the drive all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, it's just a really yeah. different, it's a different attitude when you work from home and even, even as you say, like, even if you do it a couple of times a week, suddenly you don't have that, you know, that hamster wheel effect on your life. And you're, and you just, you're getting so much time back. It's just, it's phenomenal. I, I have do worry. To, yeah. Oh, I was, I do worry about the restaurants just because, you know, we're. No, absolutely. I mean, the lunch crowd, yeah. right? Well, I, suddenly I, it's a you know, very different. Rebecca's point yeah. though, you know, maybe if people are working from home, you know, like. If you Local live in Connecticut and commute into Manhattan, you know, it, yeah, it, it could, it, yeah, it may, may well hurt a lot of restaurants in Manhattan. Right. But on the other hand, it could benefit restaurants that are local to where you live. So you, you'll, you might see a shift, you know, and it's funny, um, as, as you were speaking, I, I pulled up Google maps, you know, pulled up San Francisco and Google maps mm. and looked at the traffic <laughs> like, you know, so right now, as we record, it's 4 PM yeah. in San Francisco wow. and, you know, <laughs> Four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, anywhere in the Bay Area, you know, it's clogged normally and it's showing green lines everywhere. Light traffic in this area, much faster than usual. Yep. Well, yeah, Boston I just, was the same I just way. pulled up. Right. L.A. is the same way. Yeah. L.A. I mean, it's just it's insane. And air quality never, in L.A. I, I saw uh, somebody yeah. tweeted something about the air quality in L.A. and like particulate emissions were like zero. And yeah, in, in it's one, incredible. One or two of the parks. And, and you know, I think that this is an opportunity to find a balance. So when we think about people that live and work in Manhattan, those that, you know, are local and live and work in the city, they're ones that you say, you know what, they have the possibility to return to normal, to go into the city. It's the people that are commuting. And there are a lot of them, as we see when we notice this traffic. So again, it's sort of just rethinking, you know, rethinking the work day and rethinking how we work. So what I was going to say earlier, the funny thing about my friend who, who isn't commuting anymore is that the bank that he works for, he had, he had asked if he could work from home, like once, 
once a week. And they said, oh, no, we're not licensed in Connecticut, so you can't work from home. That well, doesn't suddenly, make any sense. <laughs> exactly. Suddenly that's disappeared. That has completely disappeared. And, uh, yes, it was nonsense. And he knew it at the time. But it was one of those like battles you're just not going to win. Yeah. And so, of course, now, you know, and I just it, it again, it's I think it's just there's there's a tremendous amount of opportunity here. Uh, we just have to focus on that as opposed to focusing on the threat. Which, where's the opportunity? I was reading something about a Lincoln dealership, you know, that's deli- that's delivering cars. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a Kia dealer up in Seattle who sold a Sedona for $40,000 by going to the person's house and dropping it off for them. But see, like, this is all stuff that, like, used to happen, too. Like, the car dealer in town used to deliver the car to you. Yeah. You know, like. It it used to be able to get groceries delivered, you know, right, right. and certainly milk, right? Yeah. So (laughs) it's just it's it's interesting, and you know, like yes, maybe the the like my local suburban restaurants will be okay, Um, but because we're sprawled out, like I don't I don't know, like it's I'm I'm nervous in some ways, and I I I I worry about people who really don't have a choice and they work in the service sector. It's, It's it's great for some of yeah, us. It's I mean, going to suck for others. Yeah, it you is. Know, later, later this year, you know, it's you know, it's going to be really bad for. There's going to be a lot of your favorite restaurants are probably never going to reopen. Yeah, just because you know they can't they can't get by. You know, even if they're you know a lot of restaurants right now are doing you know takeout and delivery, but you know that's not going to be enough to sustain them. And a lot of others, you know, are just they just had to close completely, and they. Many of them probably will never reopen, and that's unfortunate. And you know, a lot of other small and medium-sized businesses are going to be in the same position. You know, the the second half of this year, we are probably going to be in a significant recession. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, we're probably going to see a significant drop in, uh, you know, in GDP and vehicle sales and everything. Oh, vehicle sales um, are poised already. Like yeah. already, GM is offering an eighty-four month zero percent interest loan. <laughs> well, now. Right. I mean, it will be. And especially for people that are, you know, that are putting off a a purchase. Now we do still have leases. So those people that will lease will have to buy. And there's also, again, always those people that look at the opportunities, you know, maybe I can get a better deal, but it's, I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to be all rosy by any stretch, No, but there it's, you know, and, and I mean, the positive here is that we have come from a period of, of economic growth. And so, you know, we aren't, we aren't starting this on our knees, which well, is good. I mean, we, we've had, we've had overall economic growth, but, you know, for, you know, the lower and middle income sectors, you know, they have not actually made much real progress in the past 10 years. You know, they, you know, over, you know, really over the last 40 years, you know, um, median incomes in this country have been basically yeah. stagnant. Thanks, uh, St. Ronnie. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a, a lot of people, you know, a large proportion of the population that has very little, if any, savings. I realize that $400 so, is the average. No, I, yeah, I recognize so They're going to be struggling for a while. Yeah. yeah. $400. I, well, and, and the, I was trying to game this out in my head too, is, uh, the ones who are going to be able to weather it the best are maybe not necessarily your favorites. Um, it's the large corporations with available credit lines to draw down that are going to be able to take a f- shorter term financial hit 
and continue to pay and retain their workers. Uh, and, you know, businesses without that kind of availability of credit or just low margin businesses are going to have a much tougher time. So you're, you know, your, your favorite. Or, or the, or the ones chain. that spent 96% of their cash flow over the last decade oh, on stock mean, buybacks. Airlines. Yeah. Airlines can yeah. kiss my ass. They can go bankrupt and uh, somebody can buy them out of the ashes and make a real business. I mean, some of the shenanigans that have been going on have gotten us here to the point where, um, and it's, it's really, I don't want to get very political, but uh, it's it's difficult to listen to um, talk about bailouts, but not have it go where it needs to go. Like we need to bail out those lower and middle income people, not the corporations. Well, uh, but they are talking about that, though. That's that is very much on the table. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of sort of like this. We don't want to get too political, but yeah. it is both. They are talking about. It's not just focused on the corporations. They are talking it, about bailing out. It seems very heavily. And I, again, I haven't paid attention today. In, you know, well, it, send, I mean, sending, every, sending everybody a check for a thousand bucks is not going to go very far if this, you know, if we're locked down for three months or four no, months or really six months. I, yeah. What I was going to say was if you bit, if you do bail out the corporations, it, that should in turn save some jobs. It it should. I, I it, it depends on how it's done. You know, like I was, does, uh, I was, it's... like you think about the bailouts in two thousand eight. Like those were pretty good. Nobody was super happy with them on any of the sides. Uh, they they had to happen to, uh, and they had to happen the way they had to happen um, to to maintain jobs. Really, like there's again, you know, some people got parachutes and and stuff, and just things to be criticized there, but. Uh, if we're going to do the same kind of thing again, I really think that things like buybacks and um, board seats and uh, you know a lot of a lot of things that are important to the sensible running of a company um, that will wind up not leaving its its workers who can least afford it indigent <laughs> will be very important to those bailouts. It should be very important to those bailouts. So. All right, oh. on politics uh, <laughs> this week. <laughs> well, we, talk you know, about, uh, you know, we, we start. We started this off by you know I'm we're sorry. about to talk about what we're driving. Well, clearly we're driving our listeners away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what, Rebecca? You haven't. Uh, I don't. We sort of Frankenstein the last one together. So it's it's been a while since we've been on together. Um, why don't you t- Why don't you tell us about the Hyundai Venue? Oh my gosh, this thing was just such a cute, fun little car. I just, I loved it. So uh, I had it, uh, gosh, it is a couple weeks ago now. And, you know, it's just a happy, zippy little car. It's it's not going to be the most exciting thing to drive. It doesn't, you know, it's not the most exciting acceleration, Um, but it's just a happy little car. So I had the denim version, uh, which is... um, the base is the SE, which starts at 16350 The one that I had uh, that goes to SEL and then denim is the top trim. So that one starts at $21,050, which is, you know, I think a fantastic price. It's got this exclusive denim color. It looks like a, a nice pair of jeans, um, both inside and out. And then the roof is white, which is super cute. And then it's got, you know, so, so they, it doesn't, it doesn't have full leather seats, but that was okay because it has this combo seat. So the one that I had is uh, I had a, I had a 1.6 liter engine, uh, four cylinder, 
121 horsepower, which again is not fantastic. I definitely felt like it was a little bit uh, struggling a little bit on some of the more aggressive hills that are on the Merritt Parkway around here, uh, which can get pretty steep. But for the most part, for running around town, it was just fun. It was just delightful. <laughs> Aren't small cars the best? It, it was. And, you know, uh, my, and my nephew, Jake, uh, he came out and did a little Instagram video with me, which I'm actually going to send to you to edit for me. Um, okay. But, you know, he just, he really, really liked it. He's 25 and he was like, you know, this is just the perfect size, the shape of it. He can throw all of his crap in there. You know, it's quite square. It's sort of like a, um, it, it's a, it's almost to me, it, it was very similar to the feeling that I had in the Kia Soul, um, which is again, such a, a cute little car, but I don't know. I just, you know, it's just a happy little car. And I thought for the price point, it's fantastic. The only downside we were super bummed about is that there's no sunroof in the denim. You can only get the sunroof and the SEL, which I thought was really kind of strange. It's not even an option. Like you can't even add it. And so I'm not sure what that logic was, but I loved it. It, 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 it may, it may have something to do, you know, <clears throat> because it's got that two-tone finish with the, yeah. the contrasting roof color. Um, it may have been just a little too complicated to manage, you know, doing that two-tone paint with, you know, having the, the, the coal in the roof. Okay. He looked into getting it, getting one installed. It was going to be like 13 or $1,400, but so, so that would be the reason then you think the paint job. That would be my guess. Okay. You know, it, I mean, if, if it's available in the SEL and not in the denim, it right. may have just been a, a, a case of manufacturing complexity. Mm. Or well, that makes just, sense keeping the cost down is the other thing I come up with. That's possible too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, mean, I, I, Oh, go ahead. Have you guys driven it? I, I did have a chance for a brief drive uh, in the venue uh, last fall, last uh, November uh, when Hyundai was doing an event here at their, mm -hmm. their tech center, uh, a, a pre LA backgrounder. And uh, I got a chance to spend about 20 minutes driving it around and I, I liked it a lot. I mean, I think it's, it's a really nice size, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a relatively small footprint, but it's still fairly roomy inside. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like a lot of these um, entry level compact crossovers that we started to see pop up in the last couple of years, like the Nissan kicks and uh, you know, this one, and, and there's a few others that, you know, they, they've, they've, you know, they give it kind of a, a cool look, you know, it drives pretty well, you know, it's, you know, it's obviously not a sports car, you know, it's got a beam axle in the back, you know, but the, the ride quality is still decent. It's reason it's quite well equipped. You know, you get, yeah. a, you know, even on the base SE, you know, you get a, a decent audio system, you know, and, you know, with a, a touchscreen system that's got Android auto and CarPlay support, uh, you know, so you're, you're not actually, sacrificing all that much now you know granted you know for um you know for somebody you know first time buyer you know even you know eighteen thousand delivered uh you know for the the base se you know is not cheap but by today's standards it's it's quite affordable you know and if you can get a loan you know you can get some you can probably get some pretty you know reasonable payments on that uh so it's you know it's i think it's a very practical vehicle um, you know, it comes standard with uh, lane keeping assist and forward collision avoidance and yeah, things there were like some that. Good safety things on it. Yeah. You know that I that I personally was kind of impressed with. I mean, I guess again for that for that price point. Now, now the 
the SE um, doesn't have like blind spot warning rear cross traffic alert, but you can add that uh, for $1,100 to the SEL and the denim does have its standard. And so, right. so it's, you know, you know, it's, a, it's a lot of value. You're getting a lot, exactly. lot for your money. Yeah, there was a lot of value. And I like the fact that, you know, they make that SE available $16,000. It's not a lot of money at all, but you do get into a brand new vehicle. Um, and as you say, Sam, you know, it's got some really nice features to it. And, it, and Hyundai's got great warranties and, exactly. you know, great, great quality. Right. Great quality. And, you know, and then and then you can the, the trim walk was really nice because then you could add, you know, you can spend a few thousand dollars if you're if your budget allows. And, you know, what does that come out to about one hundred dollars more a month uh, to get, you know, the fully equipped, a really nice looking either SEL or denim. And, you know, it was just it was super easy to get in and out of. It's got um, it does have the drive modes to it. And, you know, so you can switch it into a drive mode for, uh, for snow because it does not offer all wheel drive, but yeah, again, it's just the features in it. It was a really, I just thought it was a really, really good value and it's super fun to drive and zip around town and, and such it's, you know, you're not going to take it on, on long road trips by any means, but you can, but fit, even if you, you did, know, it probably, you know, it wouldn't be a terrible place to spend a few hours. No, no, not a few hours is fine. Like I was, I was actually, I would have loved to have driven it you know, like up to Boston, which is like a three hour drive and back or something. Um, but for what the time I spent in it, you know, probably, probably an hour uh, in total each way. It, it was, it was good. It was, it was just a lot of fun. And as you say, it's got, you know, a five year, 60,000 mile warranty. It's got a 10 year, hundred thousand powertrain limited. I, uh, and, and, you know, they, they just, they have, they've done a really nice job with it. I think it's, I think it's just a lot of fun. It just makes, it makes me smile. It makes me happy. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those, <laughs> and, it was one of those people. 32 miles got, per gallon combined. Right. Well, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a good all around little guy. I liked it. Yeah. Well, so and they, they, they speak my language when it's stuff like, you know, beam axles. And I, I don't say that in jest. Like, I like small, cheap cars, um, especially when they're done. Well, so they, they put the money into the features, into the stuff that matters a lot more to most drivers. Uh, and I haven't driven the Venue, but I've driven the Kia Rio, which is related. And I, I remember really liking that car. It didn't seem cheap. It was not expensive, but the the way it was outfitted, the way it was put together, and the, the just the value you get, the material choices is good. Then that's that's sort of their shtick lately, right? Is Hyundai well, and Kia both? I, yes, it is. I mean, I think that it's they can they are so consistent in surprising and delighting a, a buyer with their features and and their amenities and the quality and the fit and the finish and all these things. You know, think of how many times we've driven a Hyundai or a Kia. And been really impressed. And, you know, a friend of mine just bought a Telluride because I told her, I was like, you got to go and if you want one, you got to go and get one because, you know, there's, there's, there are just not that many around and they're, they're selling really quickly. And she absolutely, absolutely loves it. And it's just, you know, they're just doing a really good job. Yeah. I will agree with that. <laughs> um, so let's jump over to sort of small, cheap 
SUVs still, well, small SUVs. Uh, Sam, yeah, not, not so much on the cheap. Yeah, I think you mentioned this the last time we recorded a podcast uh, was the you were in the Rogue Sport. Um, and we didn't talk about it that much, but you, you mentioned the price. Yeah. So, you know, Nissan, like Hyundai and increasingly most uh, automakers, you know, is kind of going two paths with their small crossovers. You know, so they've got the, the entry level models like the, the venue and the kicks, you know, and then they've got a step up model, um, which in the case of Nissan is the Rogue Sport, which looks a lot like the bigger Rogue. Um, Fools me all smaller. the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just smaller. Uh, and, you know, they introduced this in the U.S. market a couple of years ago. Um, you know, they've had it, they had it in Europe for some time uh, where it was sold as the, uh, the cash guy. Um, but here it's, it's the Rogue Sport. And, you know, it's, pretty much starts where the kicks leaves off or, you know, the venue and other, you know, other comparable models at, you know, so the starting price for the, the Rogue Sport S uh, front wheel drive is $23,000. The one I had was um, the SL, the top end model with all wheel drive. And it came including destination charges, $33,860. Which wow, is that's a little too steep. much money. No, that's that's too much money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, granted, you know, you can get one in the mid twenties, you know, without without not without, you know, it's not that hard. Um, but you know, for this top end model, it, you know, almost thirty four thousand dollars. You know, it granted, you know, it's it's a lot nicer interior than a kicks or a venue for that matter. Um, you know, it had leather seats and, you know, nice, nicely finished materials on the dashboard and everything, um, you know, heated seats and steering wheel and all that good stuff. Lots, lots of, lots of good toys to play with. Uh, and you know, it, it even included things like pro pilot assist, you know, so you have, uh, it's still a hands-on, but it's, you know, lane centering adaptive cruise control system, uh, you know, which they've now got on much of the, the Nissan lineup. Uh, available at least as an option on much of the Nissan lineup, uh, and you know, unlike uh, unlike the the Nissan systems that just have the standard adaptive cruise control without ProPilot, you know, all those. And I, I complained about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I think with the uh, the Sentra when I was driving it, uh, or maybe it was the Versa, the Versa. Sorry, I haven't driven the Sentra yet, but the Versa and and also with the uh, the Armada, when you use the adaptive cruise control. It's a full stop and go system, literally stop and go. <clears throat> so when you're in traffic, it'll bring the vehicle to a complete stop. But then once it stops, it releases the brakes. So yeah. if you don't put your foot on the brake pedal, it'll start to creep again. <laughs> we we had that. Just we, to let you know. <laughs> Sam, yeah. you and I ran into that when we were on yeah, the first launch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I remember that because I think I was driving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because I think I think I pointed out to you. Yeah, I was uh, like, wait, what are, what's Rebecca, happening? What's, what's going on? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, when you when you get ProPilot, though, it doesn't do that. It does actually keep the, the brakes applied. So when you come to a stop, it'll hold the brakes until you're ready to go again. Um, you know, the, you know, so, you know, it's a the Rogue Sport. Nice looking little crossover. A uh, little bit bigger than, you know, than the kicks or the venue, but not by much. I mean, it's within a couple inches, uh, you know, lots of features inside, you know, it's decently roomy, comfortable, rides pretty well. It's got um, the, the same two liter um, four cylinder and CVT transmission that you'll find in the Versa. 
uh, and in a bunch of other Nissan vehicles. So it's 141 horsepower. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's adequate performance. You know, I wouldn't complain about, you know, the performance as, you know, as a basic vehicle. Um, but it, it seemed like, especially in, in this car, especially at this price point, you know, it, it was, I don't, I wouldn't say it was particularly noisier than it was in the Sentra or the, the Versa. I mean, um, but you know, the Versa was a $21,000 car. This is half again as much. And at this price point, I expect a powertrain that's a little more refined than this. You know, it was kind of noisy, not rough, but, you know, you could tell it was it was working. And, you know, obviously this is also a heavier car than the Versa or heavier vehicle than the Versa because it's got all wheel drive. It's a crossover. It's taller. Um, and so I'd say the powertrain was a less pleasant, significantly less pleasant experience. Um, or, you know, not, not as well suited to the price point as it was well, in the, in the Versa. Yeah. That's, that's my issue with any of these vehicles is that, you know, when you get into that $33,000 range, what else is available? You know, what All else can you buy for that? Exactly. You can buy a nice yeah. Accord, yeah. And that's the thing. Or, or a Mazda CX-30. Or yeah. Mazda CX-30. And so that's the issue that I have with some of these. It's not that we're not willing to pay for value or that we're not willing to pay for features. It's just that then you look and say, but wait a minute, what else, what other vehicle could I get for that amount of money? Yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, you know, and, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, we always try to when we talk about these vehicles, we try to put them in the context of, you know, who's the customer, how much are you paying for this thing, you know, and what, what, what are you getting for the money you're paying, you know, for a less expensive vehicle, you, I think, you know, it's, it's reasonable for anybody to, to, to expect to make a few sacrifices, uh, you know, or to, to give up, you know, a certain, a certain amount of refinement, um, you know, that, you know, that you're, uh, you're going to pay a lot more, you know, you know, that in a more expensive vehicle, you're going to get that extra refinement. And in this case, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, it's really nice. You know, I, I didn't really have any other significant complaints about the rogue sport, but the, the powertrain definitely seemed unrefined for this, uh, this price point relative to, you know, I guess even a, a base Rogue Sport, you know, which has the same engine in it, you know, they only have this one powertrain combination, um, you know, and, uh, you know, at 23,000, uh, I'd be fine with it. But at 33,000, yeah, or 34,000, you know, now, now I'd be second guessing, you know, if I'm going to pay this much money, I want something that behaves a little better. And so that's that's my prime complaint about this. Other than that, you know, the rest of it was fine. You know, the seats are comfortable. Um, you know, it's got, you know, reasonable amount of cargo space in the back. Uh, you know, and, you know, for a smaller crossover, you know, I think it's, you know, it can handle four adults, you know, fairly easily. Uh, so it's, and, you know, with ProPilot, you know, it that works reasonably well. You know, it's not, it's not the best such system out there, but it, it works fine. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if it, if only it had a better powertrain or maybe some some more sound deadening material or something, you know, then I'd I'd be much more interested in in uh, 
recommending it. And, you know, the other thing too is, you know, at the same price point, you know, mentioned the CX-30, you know, the, the CX-30 has, does have a more refined powertrain that also has like 45 more horsepower than this one does. Yeah. So, wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes it, that, that really makes a huge difference then. I mean, at at 33K, though, like you could even go up a size um, if that's what you wanted to do. I know size is not always what is on buyers' minds, but size matters. uh, You know, I was was trying to get away from that. Well, it it does matter, but not 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 always necessarily bigger. And, you know, it depends, you know, if you live, you know, if you're commuting into an urban environment, you know, if you need something with a smaller footprint that's easier to park. You know, then a smaller vehicle like this, you know, may actually be the preferred choice. Yeah. You know, so it all right. depends on what your what your use well, case is. But I mean, is. like thirty three k also like, and and if so, you're looking for something small, you could even get into a mini. I'm pretty sure for thirty three k. Not, I mean, that that's w- true. Wouldn't be. Yeah, no, you could probably wouldn't be as reliable, but yeah. <laughs> but that, but I think that's Sam's whole point is that it's it isn't actually about the size. If this is the right size for you. Then mm-hmm. you do expect something though that has a level of luxury and refinement that for thirty three thousand dollars. Yeah. Or you know if if that's the price point you want and you're willing to go a little bit bigger, you know you could step into something like a CX five, Rav four, or Rav four, or uh, you know an Escape or any number, you know a CRV or any number of other vehicles that are a size class up from this, you know at that same price point. I wish you could get into an actual rogue. <laughs> for that price. Well, actually, you, you could. Yeah, you know. Uh, let me see. The uh, I think the rogue starts about uh, rogue starts at twenty five thousand for the S. You know, so you could you could get um, uh, an all wheel drive rogue. You know, for the same price point, like a, an S an SV. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, it depends. You, you know, get, yeah, you can get a rogue SV. You know, the mid the mid level uh, rogue. For twenty eight grand with all wheel drive, yeah, it, it, it doesn't. <laughs> or even the SL, you can get you yeah. can get an all wheel drive SL, which is the top end Rogue for thirty three thousand dollars. But it doesn't cost them any less to build the Rogue Sport than it does the Rogue. Uh, That's true. Yeah, you know, so I can understand why it's not necessarily a reasonable expectation that it should be right. Cheaper, you know, but and, it's, and especially. You know, since you're getting, you know, you have access to most of the same features, uh, you know, and there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you get in this that you can't get in a Kicks or a Venue or, you know, these lower end crossovers. So, you know, if you want things like ProPilot, if you want things like leather seats or heated seats, um, you know, or a a Bose audio system, um, you know, those things are only available and you know when you From step up to up, yeah. one of these other ones so i you know um it's a very competitive market and it's getting more and more stratified so <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know and granted you know the the rogue and the the rogue sport you know are both reaching the end of their life cycle i i would expect you know that within the next 12 months we'll see a next generation rogue sport um we were actually supposed to see the new rogue the 2021 rogue which was uh redesigned uh at the new york auto show which also has been canceled or postponed till august um and they were they were actually supposed to do a, uh, a backgrounder here in detroit uh in a couple of weeks uh but that's been uh postponed until an indeterminate date uh until they figure out when they can actually gather some people together so it's you know we will be seeing next generation models of these which you know hopefully 
you know, will be improved in a number of ways. You know, particularly, I think, like I said, to, to me, the main thing that I would like to see improved at this price point is the powertrain. powertrain the yeah. rest of it, I think, was is perfectly acceptable. Well, all right. Let's move on from the Rogue, which was too much money, to the BMW 2020, I mean, the 2020 BMW M340i, which is also too much money. <laughs> <laughs> Just more too much yeah. money. So, yeah, so the M340i. I think you said three. Did you say 320? I should have said M340. If yeah. I didn't, I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, so this is the new generation three series, uh, which we don't yet have, you know, a true M version of yet. We don't have a new M3 or M4. Those are coming uh, later this year, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, the M340 is kind of that, that in-between model. It's the high end of the mainstream uh, three series. It's lineup. more than anybody really needs. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th I think it, I think that's, that's, that's very true. Um, it's not about need. That's true. That's true. And we shouldn't, <laughs> right. Far, far be it for me to dictate what somebody else needs. I'm just saying like, it's, it's more than, than I as a driving enthusiast actually needs. How's, how's that? I'll just personalize it. Yeah. Uh, you do what you so, want with your money. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me, let me say first, BMW inline six cylinder engines are among my favorite engines of all time. I love BMW six cylinders. They're great engines. They, they feel great. They sound great. They've always had lots of torque. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're very smooth, but they have this really nice mechanical sound to them that I, I really appreciate. And so, you know, and you know, the, the version that's in this particular, you know, in the, the M340 i you know, it has uh, 384 horsepower. Um, That's bonkers. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, a lot of horsepower. Yeah. You know, and, you know, uh, oh, sorry, 382 horsepower and 369 foot pounds of torque, you know, from 1800 to 5000 RPM. So, I mean, it's got a nice flat torque curve, which is, it's fantastic. You know, basically you just squeeze the pedal at any time and it, it pulls. Um, the one I had was, was all wheel drive. Um, you know, I think I would probably, if I was choosing one for myself, I'd probably go with the rear wheel drive, the base rear wheel drive version. Cause it's going to be lighter. And, you know, I, I like the, you know, with at this kind of power level, I like, you know, having, having a rear wheel drive as opposed to all wheel drive, uh, you know, at least most of the year, um, unfortunately, you know, it's only available with, uh, and, eight-speed automatic now you can't get a manual transmission in here anymore the the last three series i drove a couple of years back was a 340i not an m 340i but just a regular 340i and i think that one had about 350 horsepower at the time and it had a six-speed manual and it was so nice with that six-speed manual you can't get that anymore um because you know what three four maybe five it's, people bottom it's so dull with the automatic yeah. i didn't drive an m i think the only uh, current version of the current three series i've driven is a, is a 320 uh yeah. but ooh, that was a boring car <laughs> was, it, you know it, this is a lot less boring I, I i would not call it boring but you know it's just it's not quite the same without a manual transmission you know i i definitely appreciate having a stick and I've always liked BMW manuals. They've always done a lovely job with their manual transmissions. Um, you know, as automatics go, you know, it's, it's not a bad one. 
but it's an automatic, you know. Is it a PD? Is it a dual clutch? No, it's just a standard, you know, torque converter, um, planetary gear automatic. Yeah, that's too Um, bad. I mean, the M series really does need to have a manual. uh, I I agree, you know, and and I think the the M3 and M4 (laughs) will have a manual available, but not the M340. Um, So there's that. Uh, you know, in terms of the way it looks, you know, I, I like the size of this one. Most of the design is a little more toned down from the previous generation. You know, the surfaces are a little smoother. There's a little less contouring, a little less, you know, uh, you know, character lines or they're, you know, they're more blended in, uh, which I think, you know, makes it a little bit duller to look at. Um, I do like the the front end of this one. Uh, you know, unlike some other recent BMWs, uh, you know, while the grill, you know, the twin kidney grill has gotten a little bigger, it's mostly bigger in width. You know, it's still at a reasonable height. It hasn't gotten this ridiculously large grill on it. Uh, and the M, the M3 and M4, or at least the M4, you know, is going to have this big, massive, tall grill, you know, full height grill on it, you know, from what we've seen. Uh, from spy photos. How do, from, how do you feel about that? Let's get ourselves off track. How do you feel about that grill? Um, I hate it. Really? I think it looks, I think it looks ridiculous. Right. I, I I like I like the version that's on this car much better um, than what's on you know what we've seen on the M4. Okay. Um, I I just think you know it's 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 too much. You know I just I don't like it. What can I say? I okay. Um, I I it was it's interesting to see how. Um, how passionate people get about things like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. you know, aesthetics are, you know, a very personal thing, very personal choice. You know, I mean, everybody's got their own visual taste. That's true. I, mean, I, I don't like those, those massive BMW grills on the new seven series, the X seven. Um, you know, what do you think, Rebecca? As far as the, the logos. The, no, the grill. The, the grill oh, the grill. Oh, the, I'm sorry. The we'll, grill. Get, we'll get to the logos. Yeah, the, I mean, the grill, <laughs> you know, I don't like the new beaver grill. I think it looks kind of ridiculous. <laughs> oh, was I not supposed to say that? <laughs> no, it's fine. I, said, I, I hadn't heard it called that before. It's a great that's mental cool. image. <laughs> but that's what it looks like. I mean, yeah. I, I stole it from Giant somebody. I can't too. remember. I can't remember now who said it, but I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't unsee that now. Yeah. I mean, and, it's weird because they should make it the porcupine grill. Although the, <laughs> with the BMW, the prick is on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> Always the joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've had three. <laughs> I've had three BMWs. You don't count. Not porcupines. You don't count. <laughs> no, I think, um, you know, it's funny because I I just finished a review of Alexis and I said that the grill, you know, the front grill was the size of a Japanese apartment because they're just, <laughs> it's just gigantic. Well, it, it, and makes, it makes me wonder though. Um, I don't, I don't think this is for us. I don't think this style is for us. I think this style is for their, their, uh, main market, which is not the U S would be my guess. Yeah. But, but I mean, in contrast, when you look at the contrast between dare I say it, a Tesla grill and or absence thereof yeah, or I mean, absence yeah. thereof. Exactly. Like it's really dramatic. Well, but Tesla does have like. So they didn't mean to have grills, but they have uh, the body contour that makes a dark area 
It plays with the light where a grill would be. It it it, do, it does yeah it does to some extent. I mean I the so the the model three and I know we're off track, but just while we're thinking about the <laughs> grill here, That's so <laughs> that is how we, we don't roll. Have anywhere else to go? So, <laughs> so the model three to me looks like a Ninja Turtle, like <laughs> it. it and, and because I can't see that now either. I, right? No, I'm I'm not kidding. I actually put together a montage for somebody, like a collage. Which I'm Ninja like, Turtle though? Like which which? It one? doesn't matter because they all no. wear those masks. That's right. True. Okay. All right. They wear those masks and they have those little turtle eyes, and that's what the Model Three looks like. And the very first time I saw it, I went, "Oh my gosh, it's a Ninja Turtle." <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so I think that there's you know a very definitive expression that bmw is going for i i mean i agree i just i am just i don't know i i didn't i didn't love it i now to be fair i have not seen a lot of them in person so maybe it looks better on the road probably not but again you know that (laughs) okay i tried i tried on the road uh but so sam how does it how does it drive like how does it uh the thing i noticed about the three series was it rotated really weird um it it rotated yeah so like when you go into a corner it almost felt like it was trying to hurl the back end out uh and it it just did you drive the rear drive or the all-wheel drive uh might have been the x it was probably the x drive yeah so probably yeah so i think i think you know I, i didn't personally experience that but you know i i think that um and I know I'm that, not the only it, one who's it, talked it, about it. Yeah, that I think that's that's some maybe some issues with the way they're doing the the torque distribution front to rear, you know, and trying to dynamically adjust that, you know, to to give it a little bit more, um, you know, of that rear drive feel when yeah. you're going hard into a corner. And you know, that's a really hard thing to do to get that, you know, kind of smooth and and seamless and natural feeling. You know, that's why you know if if I was going to buy something like this, I would go for the just go for the rear drive version because I prefer it that way rather than trying to emulate that, you know, and, and trying to constantly manage this stuff, you know, front to rear. It's, you know, it, it's really hard to do that, you know, when when everything is in motion, you know, it's it's one thing to do it, you know, when you're on a skid pad, you know, and you've got a relatively steady state condition. But the problem is the real world is never that steady state. It's always things are always changing, you know, the, the surface conditions are changing and it's, it's hard to make it feel natural when you're doing that. Um, you know, at, you know, a little more subdued speeds, you know, it, it, I think it drives really well. The steering feels definitely better than the last generation three series, but it's still, you know, it's not in the place where, you know, the, um, you know, the class, like the E36 and, you know, some of the earlier generations of three series were. Or say the Genesis G70, which seems the to G70. have. the G70. Yeah. yeah. Seems to have good steering uh, feel. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's definitely an improvement, but it's, you know, it's not quite there. Um, you know, but overall, you know, it's, it's a really nice car to drive. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, they haven't yet rolled out their support for Android Auto, um, which means that I had to, do my media streaming, just, just straight up Bluetooth media streaming and, you know, trying to, uh, figure out how to, you know, to pause, you know, if I want, you know, I went, went to lunch with my wife and daughter and, you know, wanted to pause what was playing and, you know, finally figured out, Oh, just hit the volume button, you know, basically just turn the audio off and that pauses it. 
um you know because on the screen oh, there's, no pause there, button? There, there's no there's no pause button on the screen um so it's a little little odd doesn't it feel um, like you're putting like one of those old 78 rpm records on a victrola when you have to do like bluetooth now versus yeah <laughs> it, it does it does feel a little antiquated um are they still doing that crazy gesturing thing because really there was only one gesture i ended up making and yeah, it was the, not socially acceptable. Oh, you mean the one, the one that doesn't work with your central finger? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got, if, you, um, if you rotate it yeah. around in a circle, it should work. It shouldn't volume up. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> gest, the gesture control is included in the executive package that was on here, which is a $2,100 package that gives you uh, auto high beams, icon adaptive LED with laser light, uh, whatever the hell that is. I think that's I think that's the headlights. Yeah, it's a, they they um, yeah they they hit an LED. Well, parking when assistant. When I was an executive, I wasn't a very good one, so yeah. I guess I don't need it. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot. I mean, in in classic German fashion, there's some very <laughs> very expensive options on this car. You know, I mean, the base base price up for the M340 X Drive, you know, is fifty six grand, which is not that's, cheap. But it's a lot of money. You know, it's it's a lot of money. But, you know, in the competitive set, you know, I think it's it's a little more reasonable. But, mm -hmm. you know, some of the, you know, some of the options on here, you know, like $2,000 for the Tanzanite blue metallic paint, you know. It's I bet it's a nice color, but, yeah. it, but it ain't that nice. It ain't $2,000 <laughs> nice. You know, uh, another 1450 bucks for the Oyster Vernasca leather. Um, oh, but that's know. a really pretty combo. That dark, that's, that's like a dark blue, yeah, right, with oyster leather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, that's pretty. And and the uh, driver's assistant pro package, which has extended traffic jam assistant, um, which is basically like um, like the um, uh, pro pilot, but it only works up to thirty seven miles an hour. No, thirty seven kilometers an hour. So like twenty five miles an hour, uh, which you know, kind of kind of wonder, you know. Why bother? I don't like you know, that. Not, right. not, I don't not, like that. Not worth it for seventeen hundred bucks. Uh, yeah. Listen, when you're the executive with the laser headlights, you want to be able to pick up your iPhone and return emails <laughs> in the goddamn traffic jam at the Concord Rotary. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. the Concord Rotary. Their system works really, really well. <laughs> but, uh, and that is a thing for our listeners. Oh, yeah. The Concord Rotary is a thing. It's yeah. <laughs> it, it was amazing yeah, the last like two weeks. Let me tell you, it was like tumbleweeds going through there. <laughs> Things like the the big, you know, the M Sport brakes uh, and the M Sport differential; those are all standard on the M340. So, you know, actually, all of the really good stuff, all the good performance stuff, is included as standard at that fifty six thousand dollars price. Well, at least so, they have their priorities in order. Well, yeah, it's no, it's all it's all the trivial stuff that you can live without. Yeah, but isn't that? I mean, that was kind of too. That plays into our point earlier with the rogue sport it's a very very different vehicle but at least you feel like for that price point you're getting a value you're getting something for that yeah that's true yeah i mean you know i'm, I'm not saying it's not a lot of money is, i'm just saying that at least is, you walk away feeling okay with it yeah i mean you know and this is you know the, the the option pricing is typical of what you find if you go shop for an audi or a bmw or a mercedes-benz or or Volvo for that matter, you know any any premium model, you know the 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 margins start to get very very heavy on these option prices. So you know it's it's not crazy, you know, compared to what you would pay from any other manufacturer. Okay. So out the door, it was just shy of seventy thousand dollars. Oh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. 
bet it was very nice to drive. Yeah, I, I bet. Um, yeah. You know, I can't really comment, I, I guess, on sort of that being a lot of money for what was their sort of mainstream sedan, uh, given <laughs> I spent the last three weeks in Ford's entire truck range. Uh, <laughs> I, I did the Ranger EcoBoost, the F-150 diesel, and then just swapped out of an F-250 Lariat with the diesel. Um, yeah, those are expensive. <laughs> How was the diesel, though? I'm really curious. The, so the F-150 diesel was fantastic. That engine is great. It's really well behaved. It's torquey. It just it 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 can wind that speedometer needle around like it's I don't know. I'm trying to come up with an analogy for a gauge that rises really quickly. I don't know, whatever. Uh, it's it's got a lot of torque. It's um, it's very well behaved. It's it's smooth and quiet and and powerful. The problem is that it's also expensive. Uh, the I, I want to say that it was a, almost a seventy thousand sixty thousand dollar truck. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was it was more expensive than it should have been. Well, not that it should have been, but just more expensive than. Well, what what trim level was that truck though? Was uh, that a Lariat? It was not a Lariat. It was an XLT with the FX4 okay. package on it. So the diesel adds a lot of cost to it. Yeah, I think it's about four grand for the diesel. Um, and I so I I have trouble with the F series and even with the Super Duties when the prices start to rise no matter what they do. And I, they just can't get the, the cabins to feel like they're worth it. Uh, versus the Ram, which even in less expensive trims feels like it's a lot richer. Um, and so that is kind of offensive, uh, to me. I, you know, the, the Ford truck itself is, is, great um it was nice to have a pickup for for a few weeks i got some stuff done um but the the thing that really hit home two two things i took away from it because i the ranger just that's not a great deal i could i i cannot get behind the ranger it's too expensive it's too small uh it's decently efficient it's not that refined um i liked the 2.3 liter ecoboost i i really want to try that engine in an F-150 um, versus the ridiculous engines that they put in the F-150. Like I, I don't need to wind the speedometer needle around like, like so quickly. Uh, and that, that EcoBoost engine is just plenty powerful um, for an F series. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to try that out. Uh, it's not going to happen. Um, but also the other takeaway was the F-250, which is only about, I think it was like four grand more <laughs> than the F, uh, F-150 diesel, which is weird because it was a Lariat. Um, that's the one to buy. If if you need a truck to do truck stuff, that's just skip the others <laughs> and get the heavy duty one because it's, it's going to have more of the features. It's going to have, uh, it's just, it's going to be more ready to be, um, to be called upon to be trucky. Uh, and you know, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. It, well, it's just, you know, thinking, it, coincidentally, thinking back to the show, the trade show that I just attended in Las Vegas, where, you know, again, it's, these are construction people. These are people that these trucks are part of their toolbox. And 
you know, they're used to spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on equipment. Sure. And it's, you know, when you look at some of these trucks for 70, 80, 90, a hundred thousand dollars, it seems outrageous. But if you're using this as they were built to be used, as they were intended to be used, it's, it's again, it's not in any way, shape or form saying that this is inexpensive. It's a lot of money. But if it, if you're showing up to a job site with a $10 million building on it and, you know, millions of dollars worth of equipment that you own there, I can see those those men and women at that trade show spending that kind of money oh, for, sure. for the right equipment, for the right, you know, the right equipment for the job. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to look at these things as, you know, these kinds of trucks at some of those price points. But, you know, once you broaden your view and look and say, you know, what is this for? I mean, some of those trucks are, are amazing. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're gorgeous and they, and they do a really good job. Yeah, I yeah. oh I I don't disagree, especially with the F series. Where that feels wrong or or not wrong, but just it doesn't feel right is I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying like the, it just good I no, have <laughs> mental discongruity about the the F one fifty diesel doesn't doesn't fit that. The F two fifty absolutely like it's it also it's heavy enough so that it. Um, it doesn't need it's, it's gross weight is is high enough that there's uh, there's um, benefits to that there uh, and, and having a business pay for that has financial benefits versus, you know, having it be a personal truck. The F-150 diesel is in this weird spot where it's kind of like half of an HD truck, but not really. And it's just going to get mm. beat to smithereens yeah. if yeah. you use well, it like yeah. the F-150. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the F-150 diesel, you know, I mean, Ford will tell you that. You know, it's targeted at a very specific audience, you know, uh, which is, you know, basically anybody that doesn't need the the towing capability of, you know, of a Super Duty. You know, and when you get into Super Duties now, you know, you can get into, uh, you know, up to, uh, you know, I think thir- almost 30,000 pounds <laughs> towing capability with a fifth wheel. You know, and, and even with a regular hitch, you know, I think they're. Uh, close to 20,000 pounds towing capability, you know, but if you, you know, if you have, you know, towing needs, you know, up to, you know, about nine or 10,000 pounds, you know, you don't necessarily need that big truck, but if you're towing, you know, regularly, you know, or even, even just a few thousand pounds, if you're towing all the time, you know, with an EcoBoost, uh, you know, if they're, you know, if you're just driving them around regularly, you know, they can get decent mileage. But as soon as you start putting any heavy load on that, you know, especially towing load, the fuel economy of an EcoBoost just goes right in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you're towing on a daily basis, like a landscaper, you know, that's, you know, got, you know, a trailer that that they're towing around, you know, it might only be a couple thousand pound trailer. But if you're towing that thing around every day, you know, you don't need an F-250 to do that. But having that diesel... You know, the drop off in fuel economy with the diesel when you're towing is so much less than when you're uh, when you're doing that um, with a with a gas EcoBoost engine. And, you know, it makes a huge difference. You know, you'll you can um, you know, you your operating costs will be so much less. Or, you know, if you have a horse trailer, 
that you need to tow on a regular basis. You know, that might be, you know, four or five, 6,000 pound trailer. You don't need a super duty for that. You know, a, a, an F-150 can handle that. But if you're doing it all the time, you definitely want that diesel engine. Sure, I you can know, see so that. There's, there's a, you know, there's a, a niche, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's only, you know, maybe four or 5% of F-150 sales. But when you're talking about a vehicle that sells, you know, five, 600,000 units a year, that, you know, four, five, 6% adds up pretty fast and makes it worthwhile to do that. That engine itself is fantastic. I hope that oh, yeah. they use that across other vehicles in the range. It'd be great in the transit. I, I, I expect it'll be in the, uh, in the navigator and expedition next year. Um, and probably in the, in the next gen transit. Yeah. And the, the you know, the big 6.7 power stroke is also great. Um, yeah. I guess what I liked was that the F-250 is a little stiffer. It was clearly more heavy duty. It just felt like a damn truck, you know, <laughs> like it was, it, it, it could handle whatever I threw at it. You know, if I wanted to put a plow on it, well, we don't recommend that you put a plow on the F series on the F-150. Uh, right. they, they really suggest that you, you use the, the heavy duty trucks. Um, if I, it had the heavier axles and, and hubs and all that stuff. So it just, it it was it was if you're buying a truck to use it as a truck that I, I like the F two fifty and above um, and it's not it's not that much more money when you start to get that tricked out F one fifty but yeah I, I see your point I guess if you're I mean if you're just towing your your boat to go fishing on the lake every weekend or something have you driven the GM trucks with their new diesel yet uh, their new diesel's a couple years old now right or, no or it just came diesel? out last year. Really? The new they, three liter, the inline six diesel. Oh no! The last GM diesel I drove was a V8 diesel. Yeah, that that's was also that's, their, that's that's on the heavy duty truck, which is uh, also fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. No, no, I've driven the six. The new fifteen hundreds have this three liter inline six diesel, which is you know it's got the best fuel economy rating of any um, pickup truck, full size truck on the market today. And it's everything I've heard from people who've driven it say it's a fantastic engine. I haven't haven't had a chance to get in it yet, but yeah, hopefully the, in the next few months. This thing did kick back 23, 24 miles per gallon in, yeah. you know, apocalypse lack Is of Is that all you got? That's, man, I, that's pretty good. Man. That's pretty I, good. I, got, I, got, I got 39 out of it. What? Oh, what? <laughs> On the, uh, the launch drive, uh, was it last year or the year before in Denver? Um, you know, part, you know, they had uh, a mileage loop. They were doing a little competition and it was about a 12 mile loop, you know, with hills up and down hills, a little bit of freeway, some stop and go. And, uh, you know, they, so they had, you know, I, I took uh, four laps around this loop and, um, each time I managed to get it up a little higher, I, my best run was 39.4 miles per gallon. That's pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Of course, I had to do some things that you, I wouldn't normally recommend anybody actually do uh, when driving a vehicle. But you know, I did them, and I, I pretended I was Wayne Gerties, and it all worked out well. <laughs> well, you know, it's also uh, points out that uh, mileage is highly situational. Yes, and therefore, uh, somewhat to you know, look at it with a somewhat jaundiced eye. That's all. Yeah. Let's turn our jaundice eyes to uh, what else has been going on. Um, we had the, the the internet has been really important lately for car introductions because uh, we can't get near each other. So 
Hyundai just uh, released the Elantra. Twenty was it twenty twenty one Elantra? Yep. Uh, on the web last night, and uh, it's interesting to look at. I'll give it that. Uh, I mean, it looks like a really good update, but it has it's following the the sort of. You sound like you don't like it. Um, I mostly like it. It's got a weird dent in the door. Um, but you know, modern see, and this is the thing that like it comes back to us us uh, sort of complaining about BMW, right? Like, this is the thing that happens is um, if they stay conservative or you know so traditional, they get stuck. There was really nowhere else for BMW to go after you know two thousand, right? So the E thirty eight, E thirty nine cars that everybody loves they're they're very conservative and traditional and they know that they're a bmw and then it was a shock to the system when the bangle stuff came out uh and that even now looks conservative compared to what they're doing now style has gotten very busy and this elantra is definitely busy (laughs) it's got a lot of lines yes prismatic sure I'm, I am curious, staring at the pictures, this is definitely one I would like to see in person because I see what you mean about the dent in the door. Yeah. And it's, it, it's hard to grasp it though. Like it, I mean, it, cause it almost looks like shadows and angles. Well, I think that's the point. The pictures. Just, yeah. I, th- I think they, they want to play does with it. Light. Does it actually have a dent? Like, is it actually, it's a, yeah, there's a crease, it's, it's a body line. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the crease goes really far down because normally they keep the crease straight across the belt line. And it yeah, well, so that, that one across the belt. The no, I don't. I'm trying to remember what they call it. The, so the belt line is the belt line. The one that goes up across the top of the doors. I think that's the bone line. I don't know what you're going to call this one. <laughs> no, the that the one like the base of the wind, the base of the side glass is the belt line. Oh, okay. And the, this would be like the the bone line or the tornado line. Tornado line. Called tornado that's what, line. That's, what, that's what audi used to call it i don't know if they still do do they mean like tornado like t-o-u-r t-o-u-r e-n-e like the food i, don't know. I never Tornadoes? actually saw it called out <laughs> the tornado <laughs> line is something different yeah. <laughs> uh okay i but honestly it, it looks really good from most angles and it just it's one of those things like hey at least we're, we're they're trying something I'll, I'll give them a pass till i see one in person and then i'll I'm sure I'll have crap to say about it. Uh, but that's not really the important part is not how it looks. It's sort of all of the other stuff that they've they've done to maintain their sort of market. Uh, well, not, I don't know if they have an, a lead. I, they probably still don't quite sell as many as uh, Honda or Toyota or anything. But they've, No, the, the, the Civic and Corolla are definitely the two top sellers in this uh, C-segment. But we talk about the Hyundais more, I feel. I don't know. Maybe it's just us. Well, we have, um, I feel like I have more access to Hyundai. Well, that's a good point, automakers. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, this thing's like two and a half inches longer than the old one, you know, an extra inch of wheelbase, a um, little bit less overhang on the front, a little more on the rear. Yeah. It's, it's definitely got some interesting styling on the exterior. I actually don't um, mind the grill for some reason. No, I, th- I think the I think the grill's actually done pretty well on this one. Yeah, but it's, it's very cool. very similar to the the new Sonata. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool looking. I mean, for a, and I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you. That's no, all right. Continue. 
you know, it, it is a big emails. grill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rebecca keeps talking all over Sam. <laughs> Let him speak. Um, what, what do you think of the interior? Well, I was I was still hung up on the exterior. I actually I really like the roof line, the sea yeah. pillar, and uh, the the back end really looks good. I, I mean, I, I think overall it's it's a really nicely styled car. Um, I, I feel like it looks more expensive than yeah it is. I mean, it looks very high style. Yeah, and I think that's part of what they're aiming for is to at least make it look more upmarket. You know, and again, you know, that's part of you know trying to trying to get create the perception of you know value for your money yeah the interior wise like it doesn't it doesn't blow my hair back uh most of the pictures i'm seeing are of a all black interior which is always uh no fun um some of the detailing is really nice i like you know the it it does have that unique corner and grab handle for the passenger (laughs) i see that yeah (laughs) that's that's literally the phrase in the press release. Is it really? Unique okay, okay. cornering grab handle. Why? What? But the Elantra has never been that kind of car. It's never been. Awesome. It's always handled kind of greasy and not enthusiastically. And greasy. The, 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 the Elantra GT you know, has, has definitely been better than the sedans. Um you know, and the you know the GTs have had you know multi-link rear suspension, which is what the sedan has now too. It also has the multi-link rear suspension. Um, okay, so I just found on um, a slide 30, 34 of thirty-eight pictures. I finally found a full frontal view of the interior. I'm not a fan of that divider line that they have what, the, there. The thing that looks like a stereo, like a seventies hi-fi. The the no, no, steps. it's. Maybe that's where that grab handle thing is, but it's it's to the left of the passenger, yeah, and to the right, the center. That, st- of the that center is the corner. That's, 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 yeah. uni- that's, that's the unique. That's the unique corner and grab handle. Yeah. Don't Got forget it. the word unique. unique. <laughs> is it unique or very unique? I like when we qualify how unique something is because it really doesn't. <laughs> well, they they don't really, use really. they don't use unique. They only call it unique. Uh, they don't use the very. very. It's very. only unique. You know, what they also I don't love they slap you in the face with how cheap you are if you don't buy the big screen either oh my goodness yeah (laughs) yeah there's definitely a difference there so you know the the up level um setup has a 10 and a half inch or 10 10 and a quarter inch uh touchscreen in the center and then there's also a 10 and a quarter inch um cluster display and they're both under a common sheet of glass all the way across and then if you go for the base setup, you you get, I think it's a seven or eight inch touchscreen. And, you know, instead of being under, you know, this one sheet of glass all the way across, it's got fairly prominent bezels around <laughs> it. And it doesn't have quite the same effect. It looks it's like an same impact. ATM machine or something. It's just, it's yeah. just, you know, I guess ATM machines were done. But it just, it, it yeah, it looks like... It's bad. That's not, that's not good. I, and maybe part of it is like, Hey, cheapskate, you should buy the good one. Um, <laughs> the, the, and this does the instrument panel extend to the left of the, the, that's what I've been trying the, to figure out. I, you know, I watched the, the reveal video and, you know, I read the, all the releases and I can't quite figure out what that is to the left of the <laughs> instrument cluster. <laughs> Okay. 
Or is it like it almost looks like it could be a vent, but I, I don't I don't know. Well, no, no the, the, vents, the vents down below that. I mean, it looks like there's another touchscreen there. Yeah. So, guys, this is ridiculous. Stop this. Not not necessary. And it's a Hyundai, so it's going to be too bright at night. And now it's all in front of you and you can't shut it off because it's got important stuff on it. Ah, uh, oh, well. <laughs> uh, you sound very I'm, d- I'm yeah, defeated. Yeah, this, 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 this panel to the left of the cluster all the images have just have this dashed circle around it with a horizontal line in the middle the of it. So it's not meter. clear. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> For the unique corner and grab handle. <laughs> but yeah, during, during the presentation, um, they had uh, Albert Bierman, uh, you know, come out and talk. And he did say that there is going to be an end line version of this coming. Uh, which which will be nice. That's good. And they so they did actually. Importantly, they introduced the first Elantra hybrid, um, which yes. gets fifty um, miles to the gallon, right? Yeah, and I mean it's it's the same powertrain that's in the Ionic. Yeah, so uh, same one point six liter with a DCT, you know, thirty two kilowatt electric motor, um, which is you know it's a it's a good powertrain. I mean, it's it's really good in the Ionic and in the Nero. And it, yeah, it's supposed to get about 50 miles per gallon, at least 50 miles per gallon in this thing. Well, the thing that I like about the Hyundai uh, hybrid implementation is that they still use a conventional transmission on it instead of a CVT. So it feels a lot better, uh, more yeah. positive from behind the wheel, I think. Um, yeah. Just more normal. Uh, so that that's pleasing to drive. And, and hopefully with, with a guy like Albert Bierman maybe tuning the chassis, it, this one won't handle greasy. <laughs> Well, it just came down to like tire choices and stuff. The last Elantra I drove was, it was a good car, but it just wasn't, you know, it was no Jetta or GTI. And by greasy, you don't mean slick. No, like it didn't have enough grip. Slick in the wrong ways. Exactly, like in all the wrong ways. Not enough, not enough grip, like bad tire choice. Like we went with the Mm. high miles tires instead of the grippy tires. And, uh, you know, roll rates. That's what the end line is for. Roll rates that don't match and stuff. And so I, you know, the the other end line cars or car, I'm trying to remember if there's more than one. I know that the the end line Veloster's Quite a lot. Of yeah, there's a Veloster. Um, there's uh, an Elantra GT right. N line, I think, and also the um, uh, there's going to be a Sonata N line. Okay, a new Sonata. Good for them. I mean, to keep yeah. keep bringing the uh, the nicely designed cars with lots of equipment and good economy and high performance versions. I, and I, I, I talked to Miles. Uh, yeah, and I talked to Miles Johnson today. Um, you know, one thing they didn't mention in the release is when it's coming out. He said production is going to start in the fall, um, <clears throat> and it'll be available here in the U.S. All you know, depending on what happens, obviously. <laughs> but the plan is it will be available uh, in the fourth quarter, um, and the uh, the gas engine launches, and then a few weeks later, the hybrid will be available. Okay. So. My the biggest takeaway from the release for the interior is that the two-toned melange emphasizes the driver-focused layout, even on the door. That's their <laughs> their final bullet point, which I don't understand. <laughs> okay, they use the word melange. But it, it will. <laughs> but that's not a word you want to use not, in this kind melange. Of context, not. Right? It's okay. It's it's not the one you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
but it will it will have wireless uh, CarPlay and Android Auto support as well. So. Um, I just like to point out that we're on, we're on like day two of quarantine. Oh no, I've been so home just... since Friday. It's now Wednesday. I've I've been home since uh, the Chicago oh. Auto Show. Okay, well, I mean, in terms of self isolation, yeah, you were you were in Vegas until like <laughs> only going a little stir crazy. Yeah, you you <laughs> are quarantined. We're we're just. We're just uh, sheltering, uh, sheltering sheltering in place. I'm going to go get my my uh, my emergency biscuits in the can. Yes, fair warning for next podcast. Fair warning for next podcast. Uh, Yeah, Rebecca's going to be a little stir crazy (laughs) next week. (laughs) Me? I was thinking of Dan. No, Dan's always. The worst part is rationing the chocolate, you know, like. Yeah. It's like you can have one piece. Well, CVS has plenty of Easter candy. Just an FYI for you. I can't. I haven't. I've heard. CVS is like, there's sick people there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Last last episode, you know, because we put it together, you know, with you and I talking and then Rebecca and I talking about what happened at GM and their EV day. You didn't really get a chance to weigh in. So I think you had some thoughts well, yeah. about GM's EV strategy. So the GM EV strategy to me, like I'm sure the cars are going to be good, but looking at it, it almost feels like a copycat rollout because they're starting with that luxury brand first. I, I think the first one uh, is going to be a Hummer, you were saying, um, that we're going to see? Yeah, uh, the Hummer EV will be, the Hummer pickup will be the first one out the door, followed by the the Lyric uh, and then a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, Cadillac, poor poor Cadillac with the names. Why why do this to yourself? But they're they're coming out, and and I understand to a degree that that's just how it's done with EV launches, and that's how it has been done. Is you start with the expensive stuff. Part of that has been because the smaller automakers have led the way on that, and the only way that they were able to sort of be viable was to lead with a they, they their production numbers were much lower so their cars were naturally more expensive and then you want to get those those premium early adopters in the door and so that's why you had stuff like the model s so for for gm to follow that path though seems like they could have gone another way and grabbed actually more of the opportunity in the market which is coming later but would probably have made a bigger impression or given them something to talk about more if they were to say, you know what, we're going to actually bring you a $20,000 EV or $25,000 EV. It's going to be a Chevy. You know, Chevy has more, um, it's, it's just a more applicable name to, you know, everybody versus Cadillac, which is, you know, it's, it's a premium nameplate. Even now it's not, everybody's interested in Cadillac. More people are going to be interested in the, the cheap Chevy EV that's going to be built. Well, you can get it down the street and, you know, service is going to be easy. It's going to be just like your normal car, except for it's going to be electric versus this exotic thing. So, well, I mean, that's what the bolt is, except it's not $20,000. Yeah. And, Unless unless you buy one that's two years the, old. The Bolt is great. I love the Bolt. Uh, the Bolt yeah. uh, hasn't really seemed to... Uh, they haven't really tried to let everybody know that the Bolt is there. <laughs> I guess that's my point. No, that's that's an excellent point. Uh, it yeah. hasn't really been marketed much. 
But the thing is, though, that I mean, if you look at the technology adoption curve and and the early adopters, they don't want a Chevy. That's been the whole problem all along. Yeah, but do you think they want a Cadillac? Yes, they they would rather they would rather have a Cadillac than a Chevy because they're 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 risk takers. They're luxury oriented. It's a very very different buyer. They don't trust. GM or Chevrolet for technology. That's the biggest problem is that is that they're they're more apt to trust that GM has put their best and brightest on a Cadillac than on a Chevy. Okay. I I can think I think there's probably the perception that you know if they put high tech into a Chevy that they've cut corners somewhere. Right. <laughs> But see, I think that that perception Which, is still there with Cadillac too. Though, like Cadillac is, it's less yeah. so. I, I'm having trouble, I guess, reconciling like the the buyer who's interested in say Tesla or Rivian or one of the other myriad luxury EV brands actually being interested in a Cadillac. Well, it's a very different. It, it's. I know what you mean. I totally understand what you mean, but they're going to be far more interested in a Cadillac than in a Chevy, which is, is it, and I mean this in a positive way, but it's a domestically oriented blue collar brand. I, yeah, I can see and that. That's the, the not, other, well, the other thing that's too That's not where is, you go for the latest technology. Uh, I think, you know, I think where GM, you know, what GM's doing here is they're not necessarily looking to grab those Tesla buyers, because, uh, you know, I think, I think everyone or most, most people have recognized that the, the, the Tesla fans aren't probably aren't even really going to consider any right. other Tesla brand. buyers are going to buy Teslas. They're, they're like the Apple people. Were. Right. right. They're, they're, they're gone. They were right. available. So, they were up to grass, so, but they're not anymore. So, so what they need to do is create a next generation Cadillac, you know, create something that, you know, other customers are going to be interested in, you know, so, you know, that also happens to be electric. I mean, this is, this is the approach that Audi took with the e-tron. Which I love, uh, by I the think way. Maybe, I think that does a fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. But, you know, I think, especially here in the, in North America, you know, less, I'd say less so in Europe because the e-tron's actually done quite well in markets like Norway and, and the Netherlands where, you know, Audi or Tesla was really strong. They actually have, taken buyers away from Tesla, but the, uh, you know, the e-tron, you know, the first e-tron is basically, you know, it's an Audi utility, you know, it, it's not, aside from being electric, all other aspects of that vehicle are not dramatically different from a Q5 or a Q7 or a Q8, you know, and, you know, somebody that wants an Audi and loves an Audi, but wants to go electric. That's a great vehicle. Yeah, for well, and that's what I like. Yeah. I was um, thinking. Like, I see your point, Rebecca, where um, you don't go to Chevy for the latest and greatest tech. But what if it wasn't because of the latest and greatest tech? It was just because it's an EV and it doesn't have to have an enormous portrait display and just like all of that, you know, self parking. But stuff. EV is still for for ninety. 90- what is it? Ninety-eight percent of the market EV still is a risk. It's perceived as a risk. Like yeah. that technology I mean, is new. Yeah. 
battery EVs, you know, in the U.S. account for about overall, you know, less than one, one and a half percent of sales. Because this is the other thing that worries me about GM. Anytime they roll out a new model, it's like all the things they want to do are not quite ready. <laughs> or they try to like reinvent so much. Look how ambitious they got with like the Corvair, the Vega, the X-Car. <laughs> No, like, but I mean, but that, but the Volt, both both the Volt and the Bolt were very, very good vehicles. And, they really were. And, you know, in this case, you know, this is not their first swing at the bat with this. You know, you're right. You know, the Corvair and some other previous Amazing ones, engineering. You know, that, Amazing. Right. But they, they were the first ones out the door. What we're talking about here, you know, depending on how you add it up, you know, in GM's parlance, this is their third generation EV. And with the EV one being the first generation and the bolt being gen two, you also had the, the, uh, as the bolt was gen two, the volt in there as well. So, you know, they, especially the last, you know, 13, 14 years, they've been hard at work on this electric stuff, you know, and, you know, continuously, you know, and they've gone through multiple iterations. Uh, so, you know, this is not all new. I mean, it's, it's, it's new. It's all new in that it's, it's a new generation, but it's all based on the stuff yeah. that they've been learning over the last well, dozen honestly, years. Like the, the tech, the, the engineering sounds badass. 22 pound motor that oh, makes yeah. 200 pound feet of torque or something like that. I forget the, the exact numbers. Uh, but that was really impressive to me. The, um, and, and the, the batteries, battery, the prismatic ba the battery, they're, design, they're not prismatic, right? they're pouch cells, right? But they could go yeah. prismatic if they wanted to pretty easy. Yeah, I mean you'll you'll see you'll see variants in in various markets that have prismatic cells. You might even see some with uh with cylindrical cells in in certain markets, probably mostly in China probably. But, you know, the 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 thing is the the module design can accommodate any type of cell, you know, and the the overall pack design can you know is is agnostic to the cell type that's in the so module. So that's really smart thinking. And that's the kind of stuff mm -hmm. that GM GM has always been good at is that smart thinking forward thinking engineering that is less of a it's it's less easy to grasp than the tech so i i guess i can i can see the the sort of in-car tech you know like the the screens and like the, the cadillac stuff with yeah. the the giant leds uh that are curved and stuff all that's cool and and that's not that's not the um lyric necessarily it's that's just just the escalade but yeah it, it, uh, I can I can see I I guess I can see how they want to uh, have a conversation piece and and push that along and and have the the EV tech sort of be the underpinning the sort of oh by the way and then um, once they've established their reputation hopefully <laughs> it trickles and, down and you know the the other you know there are going to be Chevrolets and Buicks yeah. you know following very close behind I mean it's not like we're going to be waiting another five, six, seven years to get electric Chevys, new electric Chevys. You know, these are all going to be coming between now and 2023. I'm excited. I just, you know, yeah. it gave me pause, maybe scratch my head. I, I do think that the Hummer, there's going to be pent up demand for that. Uh, just looking at the excitement around both the Cybertruck and the, the Rivian R1T. Um, if GM can hit the market with that before the other two, I think, They'll, they'll actually have something worth yeah. occurring. And, on. you know, yeah. there, there's, there's a Chevy pickup, you know, that's part of this batch of 20, you know, that uh, for, for fans of the old avalanche, you know, <laughs> you, you'll want to be looking for the Chevy pickup. You know, it's, it, it's designed, you know, 
is very much a callback to the to the Avalanche, except it's electric. All right. What about the Aztec? They put any Aztec stuff in there? <laughs> not that they showed us. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> All right, I've said my piece. I'm good. Pontiac, but Pontiac Aztec by Buick. <laughs> <laughs> Isuzu built by or no Opal built by Isuzu sold by well that was sold by Buick too. Um, yeah. I I've said my piece. That's a, I you know I do I do wonder because it's um, you know the last sort of thought I had was like all these things are skateboard chassis and so it it almost makes me feel like body and frame has come back but it's it's not the same. Um, it, yeah, it's it's different. It, it is, but it's different. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I, I think that maybe this time around, I am encouraged that this time around GM can make something that sticks and, uh, they're, they're st- they still got to figure Cadillac out though. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, they do, they do need to figure out Cadillac and hopefully this will be one of the ways that they can do that. I hope so. You sound more optimistic oh. than, than I do. That's what a shock. <laughs> <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> uh, we've got a backlog of listener letters. We've been asking people for letters and they've been sending them and we haven't been responding to them. We've been, we we've been do bad hosts. Yeah. And this one here from LJ. Okay. I could not agree with you more on the abysmal performance of the Uconnect system. I regularly rent cars, sometimes up to a month, and have an opportunity to try different brands. The latest version of Uconnect is so unusable that I would not purchase a Chrysler product for this reason alone. I'm spending the month in Palm Springs and got a pretty good rate on a pickup. Unfortunately, it wouldn't fit in the garage of my rental house, so I had to swap it out for a minivan. They both suffered with the same issue on startup. It takes a full 30 seconds before the vehicle hooks up with the phone. During that time, Uconnect cannot find the phone, so it switches over to the radio. Since the signal levels vary, the radio ends up blasting. The only way to prevent this is to toggle the media button until the auxiliary selection becomes available. At some point during this whole process, the media begins playing on your device. So by the time it's available for the vehicle, you've missed 15 or 20 seconds of content. I don't want to live in a world why, where I miss a single second of wheel bearings. Well, thank you, oh, LJ. Wow. We appreciate that. That's nice. Uh, That's awesome. So, you know, uh, the, it, it goes on a little bit. But, um, you know, this is actually not a problem that's unique to um, to Uconnect, and in fact, this is something I, I ne- neglected to mention uh, with the uh, the Rogue Sport. Um, you know, the infotainment in that system also took a while to reconnect the uh, the phone to it. You know, it has CarPlay and Android Auto. It took a while to reconnect, and for some reason, you know, while it's waiting to connect the phone, you know, it always seemed to revert to like XM satellite radio, with and at a really high volume. Uh, which I found really annoying. I actually, it's been quite a few months since I had any Chrysler vehicles or FCA vehicles, uh, but I don't recall this being that much of a problem with Uconnect. Did you you have a problem with this, uh, Dan, when you had the Ram recently or or Rebecca? Um, I didn't, I don't recall it being a problem. I did not like the Uconnect and the Ram. It was hard to figure out at first. I don't was recall that the 12 having, inch system. It was the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't recall it having that sort of like, right. The like real prominent kind of startup morning sickness or whatever. Um, but that's also not unique to you connect, you know, Volvo's do it where it takes it a while 
to start up and actually start to be responsive. It's very laggy. Uh, that, a, a few cars are yeah, like that. Yeah, Volvos are quite slow with that. And then once when, you know, five minutes in, it's okay, but it takes forever to yeah. to get to that point. Um, so I, I think that kind of thing, that performance issue will smooth out as they they make these systems with newer hardware. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this before. The automotive, automotive grade hardware is not necessarily the fastest or most powerful. Um, so that's one wrinkle. And I think they're asking a lot of it, uh, to, to drive these big displays and do all this nonsense. that's completely unnecessary, but seemingly people want. Um, so I, I, I understand I, if I were spending my own money, I would probably not buy the uprated audio system either, you know, and even it's like, we were talking about that Elantra. I'd still buy the one with the stupid looking little screen because I don't want the giant touch screen, even though that one's probably not bad. You know, uh, it's it's going to be an issue like they're not going to listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, so next up, um, we got Michael Silvestro, Jr., uh, with Hyundai's seven speed DCT, uh, says I've got a 2017 uh, Elantra Eco with the seven speed DCT. I hear all three of you praise Hyundai. What's your impression of their transmissions? Mine was replaced at 29,000 miles, is in the shop with 44,000 miles for a failure to shift. Uh, he's saying that this is a common problem with these transmissions. Um, I have never, you know, granted, I have never spent you know, that long in a, in a Hyundai with that seven speed DCT. Um, you know, my experience driving it, you know, great to drive. Um, you know, the ownership experience is another matter. You know, I have, like I say, you know, I've never spent more than a week at a time with any of these. Have, have you guys experienced any issues when you've been driving any Hyundais with the seven speed? Uh, that's another one where it's been a while since I've had a, a Hyundai with, with a, with the DCT. Um, I don't generally tend to like dual clutch transmissions just because I'm terrified of the ownership experience. And most of them don't operate any better, uh, than a conventional, you know, hydraulic automatic. Uh, so I, I don't really see the point other than, you know, weight and, and, uh, cost, I guess. What year was his vehicle? Uh, 2017. So there, I just did a quick search and online there, there are some issues apparently with, I don't know if it's the same one, um, late in 2016, there was a lawsuit filed actually on Hyundai's at the seven speed transmission Mm. have control modules that misbehave due to high temperature in certain driving conditions. Okay. Well, that may be what he's experiencing here. So it sounds like there are have been some issues with this particular transmission. Um, I don't know about the six speed. For for what it's worth, um, you know, the new Elantra and other recent, uh, some other recent Hyundai and Kia models have actually been moving away from this DCT. So that could be a sign that they were having issues with it. Uh, you know, it certainly, you know, th- these transmissions, you know, drive pretty well you know as dcts go these are among the best i've driven in terms of their their general operating characteristics um you know much better than the ford power shift dcts um and and even even the volkswagen um dsg gearboxes um you know so i I, i've definitely liked driving them but it sounds like there may be some uh reliability issues with them um 
and the new it one, the like, new Elantra. Oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. It sounds like just... there's a software <laughs> potential for a software upgrade. Okay. Just again, just glancing at things that. So somebody writes, once my 2016 Tucson had the software update in May of 2017, it's worked very well. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the new one is going to CVTs now. So they're dropping these DCTs and moving to CVTs instead. Yeah, I don't know which is worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> the that has always been sort of a back of my mind issue with the dual clutch transmission though. It's just uh wear and longevity. Um, this is a wet clutch transmission, right? Like it's a, it's very much like no, it's a, a dry clutch. Is it a dry? Yeah. Two, two, yeah. Yeah. The Hyundai DCTs are dry clutch. Um, only, only Volkswagen has done the wet clutch. Okay. Uh, the wet clutch are not quite as efficient and they're considerably more expensive. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That's why Volkswagen did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Burnstar 2, um, writing in from the Gold Coast in Queensland. Uh, seriously beautiful uh, part of the world. Um, thanks for the show. Um, I thought might this might be a good topic for discussion. would love to hear your thoughts. D GM's decision this week to fully cease production of the Holden brand in 2021 two years after shutting down local manufacturing. So yeah, they shut down uh, local production in 2019 or 2019. Um, and they're still importing various uh, GM models from Europe and North America rebadged as Holden's. So things like, you know, the Insignia slash Regal are available as a Holden right now, but the Holden brand is going away uh, entirely next year. Um, so, you know, I said, uh, there's a sense of national mourning over the loss of an iconic brand dating to the 1930s. Uh, his family owned uh, only ever owned Holden's when he was a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s. Uh, dismay that GM reportedly told nobody, not even the prime minister's office, before making the announcement, which affects up to 800 jobs and potentially more downstream in the dealerships. And outraged that the Australian car industry has been allowed to wither by manufacturers, governments, etc., etc., uh, the reality is that Australians switched to buying Japanese, Korean, and European cars many years ago. So we've really reached just. Uh, so have we really reached just an inevitable and unsurprising conclusion? Um, it shows that our cars it shows that though that our cars mean more to a society than just horsepower or kilowatts, whether they're electric or ICE, and how much they cost. In the end, it's a consumer's choice on whether they spend their money and. Uh, that really decides what stays and what goes. Well, it is a shame because having been to Queensland and have a very good friend from there, the Holden brand, it is a shame because that they gave us the amazing Pontiac GTO recently, fairly recently. And the, the yeah. Chevy SS and the, and the, the Pontiac G8. G8. Yeah. 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 We, no, we really, almost got the Utes. We almost got the G. Oh, that would have been oh, so Malou. fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, it is a good question. Uh, at what point does an automaker feel obligated to subsidize national pride? You know, like that's because how much does it cost to keep a brand open? Um, even if they're just rebadging vehicles, you know, that's that's essentially where they got to. Right. It would still it costs money to run a separate brand. Um, and if the brand itself is to the point where it just doesn't have any market share anyway, uh, what, what point does it make? So and, I, from the business side, I can see it. And, and the challenge for GM 
you know, is at the same time they made this announcement of discontinuing the Holden brand, they also said, you know, that they're pulling out of all right-hand drive markets. Uh, you know, and this is one of the challenges for Australia, you know, being a right-hand drive market, uh, uh, you know, because they, GM, you know, a couple of years ago sold off Opel and Vauxhall in Europe and most of the engineering, you know, most of the, the Holden vehicles of late have been based on Opel, Opel designs, um, you know, that were rebadged, you know, they were essentially Vauxhalls, you know, the, which are right-hand drive um, Opels uh, sold in the UK. So, you know, with GM deciding to get out of the right-hand drive vehicle business, aside from the Corvette, you know, what, you know, what else can they sell? They didn't really have anything else to do in, in Australia because it's just not a large enough market for them to justify the engineering costs for, you know, a full range of vehicles. Yeah, I, th- I think what I saw was that um, they sell more cars in Texas in less than a year than they did in Australia uh, for the entire year. Like, yeah, it, it just economically gets real upside down. And so I can understand the, the sadness. I still miss Oldsmobile, man. <laughs> like, um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a, it's a brand of thing. You know, um, I, I know that there's, again, it's, it's, your brand. And I, I understand that too. Um, so I, I don't want to minimize the emotions, but uh, I, I can't see that GM had a real solid business case for keeping it around. Yeah. Uh, and for better, or for worse, that's been a hallmark of Mary Barra's uh, reign at GM is it's, you got to make a good business case for it. And, you know, with, with, with all the money that they have to invest in electrification, automation, you know, and other future technologies, you know, she's, she's got to make, you know, she's got to make some tough choices. You know, you know, where do we put the resources? And, you know, in light of what's happening right now that we started the show with, you know, that's probably the right decision to make because, you know, you, you can't just go on, you know, spending good money after bad, um, you know, no matter how much you might like a market or a brand, you know, if it's not working, you got to move on. You know, that's just, that's business. Yeah. But we absolutely mourn, mourn with you. Yeah. Listener. Yeah. We, you know, uh, you tie off the bleeders. That's right. Yeah. Well, but, but I mean, it is a shame. It's just a reality. It is. It's yeah. a shame. It is. It's you know, just, and it's you not- know, if, if Australia, you know, was a left-hand drive market, then I suspect the GM would still be selling, you know, would continue yeah. to sell vehicles there. I mean, if it was just a matter of maintaining the Holden brand for Australia, I, I think that they would go with that. That that wouldn't be a problem if, you know, if they didn't also have to re-engineer the cars so much for that market. Right. I agree with you. All right. Next one from David Harbin. Which family car goes to the kids? Greetings to all of you have enjoyed the show since the autoblog days. Question for your input. We're a family of five, mom, dad, and three daughters, aged 17, 14, and eight. The 17-year-old needs to learn to drive, and we're only a couple of years away for the 14-year-old. We have three cars in the fleet. Which one should be the kid car? Number one, 2013 Chrysler Town & Country, used for mom's work and family road trips, and will probably stay mom's car since it's cushy and has satellite radio, properties that she likes. 2008 Mazda 5, 
the beater that does odd jobs, but in excellent mechanical condition. By the way, big fan of the Mazda 5. I think, you know, great little minivan, you know, in a, in a more uh, reasonable size than the, the bigger minivans we have today. Uh, and then number three, 2017 VW GTI manual transmission. Dad's car to do school runs and get to work. So conventional wisdom is probably give the old Mazda to the kids. But drawbacks mm-hmm. to that include no stability control, seems to step down on solidity and safety compared to the others. It's an automatic, and the kids will never learn to drive manual if they don't learn now. Is it crazy to consider the GTI as the kid's car? It seems to have more safety tech than the Mazda, and um, other benefits include the manual transmission. Both girls want to be able to drive and travel overseas, though we know the days of manual are numbered. Uh, On the other hand, a powerful car like a GTI for a teenager is probably a terrible idea, though neither of the girls are risk takers. Uh, I think default advice for engineers is to get a used Forester or Accord, though I think the paid-for Mazda would be pretty much the same. Any thoughts? Oh, I have thoughts. <laughs> really? <laughs> I can't imagine. Thought away. Um, so I, I think that the, the safety equipment, the solidity, and the uh, both passive and active safety uh, put them in the GTI. I know it's a GTI and it's relatively powerful and it, you know, handles well and stuff. Um, I do wonder if you can get a tuner, you know, and, and actually detune it. Um, <laughs> because you can, you, it's easy to find tunes for those to make them quicker. So maybe you can find one that makes it more responsible. I don't know. Um, but the, the rule for me is always put them in the newest car with the newest safety check. And, and that's the safest car you own. Well, is that GTI. Yeah. And I think that there's a couple of rules I would implement as well. I don't let the boyfriends drive it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a Excellent. good idea. Uh, Excellent. Right. And also, you know, while he is teaching them the manual transmission, he can teach them about the vehicle. Take that opportunity to teach them about the torque and the power and you know, and, and driving a vehicle like that. I love the fact that the girls want to learn manual. I think that's awesome. So, so, you know, it really can be an opportunity to educate them on, on this type of vehicle rather than have them feel like they're not allowed to, to, to drive it or that they can't handle it. You know, this is such a great opportunity to teach them how to handle it. And I, I apologize. Lucy has come to visit. So you may hear me yelling in the background because <laughs> she has an opinion about this, too. Go girls. Learn manual. <laughs> um, I, well, I, I think that that's a, a good point. And in, in teaching car control, the GTI is a really benign platform for learning car control and, uh, you know, some some driving school. Uh, not to get overconfident, but to just understand what it feels like in a controlled environment when you start to lose, you know, you run out to the edge of your grip and stuff. That's that's really important because young drivers don't know what that situation feels like. They don't have the experience. And the only way to get that experience is to be in those situations. You're not going to get it any other way. And if you, if you are familiar with the sensation, you're going to you're going to be less flustered and you're going to, you're going to know more what to do. And exactly. if you enough, you'll just have muscle memory and you'll just counter steer. <laughs> I, I, I agree totally with everything you've said. And, and, you know, I think, you know, because, you know, you're talking about all girls, you know, while it's obviously a stereotype, you know, teenage girls, I, I think in general are 
generally more responsible than teenage boys. Um, you know, so I think, you know, and, and the GTI doesn't have a, a ridiculous amount of power. It's not like giving them a Mustang GT to drive, you know, I mean, it's, it's 210, you know, 220 horsepower, you know, so it's, yeah. it's got plenty of performance, but not, not a crazy amount. And, you know, if, um, you know, if they, if they do have to, uh, you know, if, if they're learning to drive a manual, then, you know, I think that they're, and they want to do that, then I think that they're generally going to be a little more responsible and, you know, plus, you know, GTIs, you know, smaller carries fewer people than, than the mini and the, the Mazda five, you know? So I think, you know, the fewer of their friends that they're, you know, that they're driving around with, you know, is also a better thing, you know, compared to, you know, hauling, you know, having them haul everybody around. Um, so I know, uh, Rebecca wants to go get some dinner. So let's, let's just, um, <laughs> to, to <laughs> my stomach's like, I, Which I, I admit to, is what I was ordering when we were talking about the BMWs. So I was a little, I was momentarily distracted, which I apologize for. <laughs> okay. So, so, uh, one, one quickie here. And then one more question, uh, Peter from Bavaria just wanted to let us know that his wife, uh, enjoys her 2010 VW bus. T5 TDI. Uh, you know, dri- why are you doing that to us? <laughs> I know, right? Come on. And he, and he drives a 2010 Toyota Horus and various Deutz, Deutz, Deutz tractors. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. He's a social scientist, social worker, farmer, and car mechanic with deep roots in the car industry. Listens to wheel bearings on his Android phone in the car um, and hasn't missed a single episode. Peter, thank you so much for listening from Germany. That's awesome. Um, thank you, Shen. This is the last question for this week. We'll we'll get into some more next time. Um, but the last question I want you guys to address um, from uh, Mike Feldman, a longtime listener, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Rebecca is a wonderful addition to Wheel Bearings with a great perspective to compliment Dan and Sam. I'm glad um, to know he got my check. <laughs> <laughs> On the last episode, you briefly got into used EVs when talking about the Model 3. I'm shopping to replace a 2016 Ford Fusion for my commute car, 80 miles and about one and a half hours in the car a day. Fusion is pretty composed and quiet, but I find the driver's seat to be uncomfortable in my long commute. I've been looking at things like a used Lexus GS to Mazda CX-5, but EVs intrigue me too. Could a used Leaf, Bolt, etc. meet my needs for a smooth, quiet, comfortable highway commuter? I worry that these smaller cars are really just meant as urban runabouts. So first I'll just say that, you know, uh, the leaf and the bolt, you know, definitely, especially if you're talking second generation leaf more so than the, the first gen, you know, second gen, you know, they started at 150 miles of range bolts got, you know, two two forty. 240, um, you know, definitely much better than urban runabouts. Um, you know, they, they would be fine for highway commutes. The seat comfort, thing though that's something that i think is very personal to every individual and you know depends depends a lot on your body and your body shape you know some people find the seats in the bolt not very comfortable i personally don't have a problem with them um you know i think you need to go out and and try each one of these take it for a test drive you know spend at least a half hour in it if you can you know, and see how your back feels, you know, riding on those seats uh, before you make a decision. Um, how long did he say his commute is? Uh, an hour and a half a day, about 80 oh. miles. Okay. Well, it's interesting. I'm assuming I, that's round I, trip. Yeah, right. I, I just wrote my um, LS500 
review on for Alexis. And I act, actually specifically mentioned how comfortable it was on the highway. I mean, my I would lean towards a luxury car because I think that they have a lot more opportunity to adjust that seat, you know, and for a commute like that. I mean, I used to have a 75 miles each way and I, I had an Acura Integra at the time. And while that wasn't, you know, the height of luxury by any means, I just, I think that I, I think that that EV seat, I agree. I think it would, it would, it would wear on you after a while. And I like how many different ways that you can arrange a seat in a luxury vehicle, especially like Lincoln. What is it like 57 different ways? None of them comfortable. So, <laughs> you know, so See, this I, just, is I, I think some of, those, some of those minute adjustments, like, I mean, this was a little bit more extreme, but I remember driving the Volvo XC40 uh, to and from Pennsylvania, which was about seven hours in a day. And man, by the end of that, I was definitely feeling that seat. And obviously that's an extreme version of it. But I do think that, you know, a, a well-equipped, properly bolstered luxury vehicle seat is going to be more comfortable and a lot less tiring to, you know, on the body. Yeah, I mean, personally, I've I've always really liked the seats in Acuras and uh, like in the Accord and 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 even the Civic. Um, so I think Honda does some really great seats. For but sure. Again, it you know it's it's really a very personal thing. You know, it's got to fit your particular body. Um, it, absolutely. And you know the the only way to know is to actually go out and try them. You know the used Lexus GX, uh, or CX five, you know, both really good choices. Um, you know, again, you know, leaf and bolt, uh, you know, if, if you've got an 80 mile round trip, you know, either of those are going to handle that without any problem at all, even in wintertime. Yeah. I think um, I'd go bolt though. Like I, the other thing to do is, is drive it and, and see, you know, how, how loud it seems to you. Cause whether or not yeah. it's actually a quiet car, uh, it depends on the quality of the noise, uh, too. So yeah. don't, don't, don't forget to just spend some time with them. Like you say, like the, the, the bolt is newer and you know, the leaf has been updated even in its second generation. It just, it, you know, it's, it's a little, little bit older on the market. Uh, and I think I would feel better with, if it's 80 miles, See, I'm I'm thinking like even if it's if it's an 80 mile round trip, you've got that extra little bit of of range with the bolt. Um, actually, extra considerable amount of range, so you don't have to worry in the winter if you get stuck in traffic or whatever. Like, you're and, not gonna and Mike's in battery. West Michigan, so he is gonna have winter weather to deal with. You know, and you're gonna you know with an EV, you're gonna lose about you know 30 to 40 percent of your range yeah. in the winter time. Um, so, is there, there's not a whole lot of traffic out in Western Michigan, though, right? Like, you know, uh, depend depends where he's driving. I mean, it, it could be fairly significant. Okay. Um, I think yeah, that I, mean, I agree. I think that's just too long for a, an EV. Uh, not for a Bolt. Um, leaf a Bolt is what? The leaf might, for a Leaf for a Leaf specifically, but I don't know. Yeah, the the Bolt the Bolt you got 240 <laughs> miles of range. Um, you're gonna have more than enough buffer that's that's not going to be a problem at all right even but you know even worst case conditions you know that you're you're not going to you're going to have at least 140 to 150 miles of range even in the worst of winter weather well, to the yeah, but too, the is leaf like, is not ideal can you charge at work or not 
if you can charge at work, then either yeah, is going to work. Yeah, you if know? you got yeah if you got workplace charging, then you know that definitely helps. So, but really, you know, I think you you need to go try each one of these that you're considering and see what actually works for your body shape. Okay. All right, and we've got we've still got more. We will get to them uh, next week or the week after or when we get to them, especially <laughs> Tony, Tony Masters and what's up with ugly trucks. And, uh, <laughs> and 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 to, to Tony G, I'm, I'm still working on aftermarket uh, tire pressure monitoring, still trying to research that. So I will I will get you a response on that. All right. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, stay safe out there or in there or wherever you yeah. are. Don't go licking doorknobs. <laughs> And, Don't uh, forget to wash your hands. Yeah, wash your wash your damn hands. Stay in your house <laughs> and listen listen to podcasts yeah. like ours. All right, thanks. Thanks everyone. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Wheel Bearings. Find us at wheelbearings.media and on Twitter as at wheelbearingscast. Remember, there's only one vowel. That's the A in cast. We're also at Car Review Tweets on Twitter. Or you could just email us. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media.